millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, I'm Stephen. And I'm Helen. And on this week's Queen's Speech special, we discuss... Why she wasn't wearing a proper crown. I get very excited about non-legislative measures. And we wonder whether or not there is anything in the Queen's speech that is going to keep us interested over the summer and into the next two years. Because that's right, folks, we're not having one next year. Arlene, 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 I'm begging of you, please don't take my mandate. Your views, they are conservative, your instincts are acquisitive, you want to build a bung in Londonderry. It's really beautiful, but we should probably explain to you what the hell we're talking about, which is that Arlene Foster, the uh, head of the DUP, um, is still, as we record this, kind of has Theresa May over a barrel and hasn't kind of locked up their deal to pass the Queen's speech. I have to say, okay, maybe this is a very unfair thing to say about a 91-year-old woman, but I feel she could have put the crown on. I mean, it's... I saw, I switched on the TV and I was like, why has the Queen got sitting in the throne but in normal clothes? That's weird, isn't it? Won't the crown be, you know, boiling? The crown is, to be fair, very heavy. Um... I mean, this like you but know, you can wear on. They, 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 she has got a lot of crowns, right? So they made a specific crown for Mary the Second because obviously William and Mary got crowned at the same time. So they had, yeah. you know, they couldn't give it half and half. Or like when, you know, like when you and your friend used to listen to music through one earpod each, you kind of couldn't really just yeah. make them sit really close together. So there are spare lighter crowns she could have used. I mean, what? Why? You know, to be excessively morbid, um, you know, elderly people do die in hot weather right well but unfortunately poor prince philip has ended up in hospital for some yeah. precautionary measure so yeah I, I know okay but i hope that there's decent I mean, aircon in the, the palace of westminster <laughs> <laughs> there's not uh, <laughs> there is in the chamber though right there's just not in any of the galleries i'm not even, i mean actually now i think about it it is cooler in the chamber than you'd think considering how packed it but yeah i'm just saying that i i, I was watching just being like well this will get dark pretty quick if she sort of like passes out oh yeah. my god poor queen um, if you're listening mom keep wear whatever hat you want we take that back um, but let's talk about what was actually in the speech uh, which was a big fat load of nothing um i, I think probably that which isn't true actually I mean, they managed to pad it out to sort of 90 odd pages of, of lists of stuff but what is obviously the most striking thing is what is not in there so fox hunting <laughs> pensions triple up being rolled back <laughs> grammar schools um although there is still some stuff on data projection they've ended up in a significantly less illiberal place so it does show you know as i've written on our website it does it does show yes obviously labor didn't win but they did get a big victory in terms of the things the government will not do the thing which is interesting about what is in there because there is actually still 
quite a lot of stuff in it. It was a very brief speech. But there's still some fairly um, radical stuff in it. But, of course, the, the interesting thing is, is the radical stuff that has survived from that manifesto is um, the left-wing stuff because... That's the bit they can get through the house. Yeah, well, it, yeah, this, this thing is then, then basically... Things that uh, they and Labour agree on, probably going to be OK. Yeah, which does sort of put Labour in this wonderful sweet spot. So domestic violence, Bill, is a great example. The assumption among a lot of Labour MPs, fairly or unfairly, was that the domestic violence bill would have be, was going to be a fairly weak set of proposals that wouldn't do very much. However, the thing about a fairly weak set of proposals on domestic violence is they still lose votes at the other end of the Conservative Party, which means that a lot of Labour women MPs are very excited about the option that they now think they have to basically go, well, sure, we'll vote through it, but here is my list of amendments. We did get that, which I know has been a cross-party thing, the right for um, accusers not to be cross-examined the right way around. People who are accused of domestic violence are no longer allowed to cross-examine their alleged victims in court, which was something that Jess Phillips and MPs from other parties were working on together. So also the thing is, even weak action on domestic violence is some action on domestic violence, which I think, you know, one doesn't want to kind of be overly grateful for tiny, tiny things. Things. But actually, the, the you know the big lesson of the last kind of couple of weeks is that I think probably the involvement of domestic violence in terror has finally made slightly more men mostly take it slightly more seriously, right? As as actually now it kind of becomes part of a kind of anti radicalization process. Yeah. And so you hear stuff about the the alleged perpetrator. Um, of the attack on the, the mosque or the community centre and the fact that he was often heard sort of shouting at his wife and kids in the street. You know, there are sort of feelings that these are interesting things to look into the background of people who are accused of offences like that. Yeah, I think there's... And, and yeah, and the other sort of... The, the, the one positive consequence of the uh, increasingly well-organised and effective uh, pro-life lobby in Parliament is it has created a situation where... Um, women MPs across all parties, well, not just women, but predominantly women MPs across all parties who care about issues of, 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 of reproductive rights, but also domestic violence and other similar issues, have got very used to working together. You know, they have a, a WhatsApp group, which is basically the sort of sync one on now of, of, of getting anything done in Westminster if you're Yeah, and Yvette Cooper venture. was involved last time in rebuffing um, Fiona Bruce's attempt to try and um, put sort of essentially bring about a ban on sex-selective abortion in a way that would have probably just actually reduced overall lots of people's access to abortion. You know, there is, there is some organisation there. But um, do we have to talk about Brexit? Yes, we do have to talk about Brexit, right? Because that is, I mean, the very first line of, the, of Theresa May's introduction to this is that this is a Queen's speech to deliver Brexit. Shall we go through the kind of... Uh the, uh, the, 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 the six points uh, in order. So Please don't expect me to have anything useful to say about the fisheries bill. Oh, no, well, I, I just meant delivering Brexit, building a stronger economy, making fish. our country fairer, uh, uh, making our country safer, uh, our other legislative measures, and then the real fun one, which is non-legislative measures, a phrase that I suspect the government will come to use an awful lot the longer it runs. Um, but yes, delivering Brexit. How is that all uh, working out? I think it's a very. I think they're in a really difficult place. I think you know now you look like you're going to have a Lib Dem leader, Vince Cable, right? Has to be the favourite. Norman Lamb. Uh, that's interesting because he voted get. He voted to trigger Article 50, didn't he, Norman yeah. Lamb? Because his constituency is quite Brexity. Uh, and yeah, or Ed Davy. I mean, to be honest, I think. Well, so the interesting thing about all political parties, most obviously uh, talked about in the topic of the topic of the Labour Party, is 
Party memberships, just as, as pets and their owners, do start to resemble their, their leaders. So Tim Farron obviously inherited a party which was very into the coalition, a large chunk of which joined because uh, they felt uh, the, the Lib Dems had been badly treated in the election result, which meant he had to tack quite far to his party's right in order to see off Norman Lamb last time. There has been a surge under the Liberal Democrats. However, it has mainly been of 48 percenters. Now, the interesting thing about that, I think, is my assumption would be that that 48%, if if you're into uh, repealing the referendum and you join the Lib Dems, my instinct is you're probably quite into the coalition, at least the Lib Dem bits. You probably really think Nick Clegg is great. And actually, I'm not convinced that a quite old bloke who very visibly... Spent a lot of time complaining about the coalition. Complaining about the coalition is actually in the box seat. Mm, Um, Interesting. So the the interesting thing is the referendum has clearly politicised a lot of people. Uh, Labour was the biggest beneficiary of of people who had never voted till 2016, who kept voting in 2017, as well as adding a chunk of people who hadn't voted at all uh, Mm. previously. The, my instinct is, is, is the one caveat there is that there may be some Lib Dem voters who actually, you know, members who haven't really heard of an Ed Davey or an Norman Lamb who vote for Vince Cable because of his name recognition. But according to Mark Pack's survey of, of Lib Dem members, uh, uh, he's not ahead. My instinct, if it, it kind of depends what else happens. If the press realises that the government is just going to quietly moulder away without sort of risking itself or anything... And the sum and the only political story of the summer becomes the Lib Dem leadership. I think it will be very hard for Vince Cable to win yeah. this Lib Dem membership. <laughs> I love the optimism of thinking maybe you're right. Maybe the story of the summer will be the Lib Dem leadership. It would just be, I mean, that'd be kind of crackers. But you're right. It might be the only thing that we've got. It might be all we have to hang on to. Well, because I think you know, uh, yeah. Well, and obviously, to we, we will talk about non-legislative measures uh, further down the line, but. One of the things that, if you look at 74 to 78, if you look at the the back end of of, of the Conservative government in the 90s, when your parliamentary situation is rocky, the best way of dealing with that is just for Parliament not to sit all that much. Yeah, it's like, it's just don't, 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 don't bring the pain. Um, The other thing I think we should mention is the fact that the Labour split on immigration is currently just bubbling away. Uh, It's what I've written my column about this week, saying that Jeremy Corbyn's part of his success and what he did in this election is that he managed to attract, like you say, a lot of those people who you might have thought angry Mainers might have gone to the Lib Dems instead actually went to to Labour. But um, how how much do those people really care about the end of freedom of movement and what they and and do you know versus cutting immigration? Because the calculation he's made is that they don't really care about freedom of movement. Actually, it's much better to concede the single market um, membership and then you know and keep all the in the tank the kind of traditional working class Labour voters for whom immigration is a high priority issue. But we did have a letter sent to the Guardian by I think fifty nine MPs and MEPs, mm. which was saying. Come on, let's have the single market. We love the single market, please. Um, so there is some idea that actually those remaining Labour MPs are getting more organised. Yeah, they. Yeah, I mean, because one of the other interesting consequences of you know the last two years of internal fighting in the Labour Party, and also the yeah, because obviously the the result has kind of destroyed Corbyn skeptic as a Corbyn skepticism as a large force and it's kind of broken back down into its composite elements, right? There are lots of people like, well, my, my their skepticism was the winning. Mm. They're now into it. There are lots of people who 
uh, feel that the result actually validates their opinion. I, I write about this in, in more detail in, in, in my column this week. But the third group of kind of pro-immigration, pro-globalization, very centrist social democrats, they obviously still don't agree with Jeremy, but they also know that his win means he's the unchallenged leader. But it does mean they have a, a structure of organizing with one another than they used to organize for to lobby the leadership. They now learn and that is off the table and everyone has to be loyal, but they do still have a whole machine mm. uh, that will now turn towards keeping us in the single market, having as soft a Brexit as possible. They obviously have allies on the other side of the house who are also into Europe. Well, one of their allies well, being P. Ham, right, who used his Mansion House speech to be pretty flagrantly unsupportive of Theresa May. Um, yeah, I mean, so he, he basically was kind of coming back to the early stage of his chancellorship when he was kind of going, you know, people didn't vote to be poorer or less secure. And the but thing about which, you know, you have to say he is completely right, right? That, that, but this is, so the, the, the kind of... The and the economic fish, indicators for next year do not look rosy at the moment. The fissure in British politics that it's hard to see who... who who, who, who fills it instinctively. My instinct is it's, it's a place which is quite verdant territory for, for Corbyn because he is obviously, a, you know, you're a skeptic, he's, but he's, he, his left wing is into more money for public services. The median Brexit voter and the average elite Brexit backing politician in SW1 want to Brexit for reasons that you just can't, they, they do not exist in the same space, right? On the one hand, you have a group of people who would just like control over immigration, for immigration to go down and for basically very little in their lives to actually change. And for it to not cost anything, and, in fact, to hopefully give more money back that you can spend on public services, yeah. right? They're and, not thrilled about the idea about us being like a, a Singapore of the North. Yeah, and then you have these people who are like, oh, we'll we'll have a bunch of trade deals. It's like, spoiler alert, you have a trade trade deal with... India or Brazil, you're going to have a lot of visa liberalisation in it. You know, you know, or you know, are all care about sovereignty. Spoiler alert: the freer you are, the the poorer you are. Actually, you know, bluntly, the the only state of freedom is 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 unemployment, and the only state of freedom in a nation is poverty and not trading with anyone. This was right? something that I didn't think I'd. And you know, when you something that was really kind of crushingly banal and obvious suddenly strikes you, and you kind of think, well, you never thought about it like that. I had never thought about the fact that we are so used to being a nation defined by immigration, not emigration by and large, that people just do not see the end of freedom of movement as something that might be a, a bad thing. They don't think, I mean, this is being overly apocalyptic, surely, but you know, that the British economy could really seriously tank and you would have to go and seek work overseas. That'd be the only way to, to, to earn a living, right? They never think we're going to need freedom of movement in the other direction. Yeah, I think one of the fascinating failures of the Remain campaign was the generation of people without degrees who in the 80s got work on building sites in pet. Spain yeah. and Germany, did not vote to stay in the EU, which is just an, ast yeah, yeah, it is just an astonishing failure of sort of targeting and micro-campaigning. It's, it's one thing for sort of young people to have forgotten, oh, it's not just that free movement is nice because I have lots of friends from Europe who've moved, moved to my booming city. It's quite another than 50-somethings who who have their own memories of having to leave to get work 
didn't go, hmm, maybe this is a, a pressure valve I'd quite like to be able to pull no, at an, some point in an the interesting future. complacency about the sort of dominance and attractiveness of the British economy, right? Which I guess the Eurozone crisis probably bolstered because we thought, well, everyone else looks horrible, you know, of course we're doing the best. Whereas actually our economy has recovered quite badly. Our productivity compared to Europe is still very low. You know, I, I kind of wouldn't be that smug about the British economy, really. Uh, what a lot of sort of pro-European conservatives are saying is that they think the message they have um, that will work on on their Brexiteer colleagues is: look, you might believe in this idea of the Nike tick, where things get worse and then they get much, much better. But at the bottom of the tick, Jeremy Corbyn becomes prime minister. Do you really want that? And he takes credit for the up. To happen, yeah, um, you know that does shift some of it. But yeah, basically, the, the slight difficulty is is it's quite hard to work out what deal there is a parliamentary majority for. On the one hand, you have Jeremy and John, who are are, are you know long-standing uh, left-wing backers of a, a European exit, right, and who actually have a policy agenda that is quite interesting, and you can. I don't agree with Lexit. I think it's misguided, but I can at least... It, it is one of those things where it's like, okay, I can at least see that all of the parts of this add up. They can see things that, there are, that they can only do outside Europe, right? They're not just paralysed by despair, um, yeah. by the idea that it's all going to be horrible and we should just basically go crying to Emmanuel Macron. Yeah. Love us, Emmanuel, take us back. We didn't mean any of it. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The weirdness of a lot of sort of right wing Euroscepticism is just like, you're not going to have more freedom outside of the EU as the international the nuclear, nuclear safeguards bill um, <laughs> ably, ably illustrates yeah. right because basically what we're going to do is we're going to leave your atom so we won't be subject to the ECJ's judgments which means we will we will forego our participation in various nuclear research projects, including the... Uh, uh, Ones the, that involve the, cancer drugs the, that yeah, are radiotherapy. The this small, is the small ITR. But in, but in order to continue to transport nuclear materials, including things involving cancer drugs, our nuclear safeguards bill, and this I just think sums up the ridiculousness of the sovereignty argument, um, will be set up to enforce, measure, check and safeguard that we are following internationally recognised nuclear safety standards. I.e. European. I.e. European, yes. So it is one of those things where it's just like... You, you, you kind of or can't... Or we could have ass- just stayed in your atom, guys. We could have yeah. just paid them some money and stayed in your atom. That would have been exactly, literally the same thing. And then you might have actually had some... This is, this is, but this is kind of comes back to your thing that you were talking about even before the referendum, you know, about going in the way of the facts democracy, right? Where you just end up having to take all of the rules back on board, but you don't get any say in, in making them. Yeah. Um, and you get, and there is an active, you know, you are, uh, there is an active interest for the rest of the Europe to penalise you, right? Because there is a, some sense that it's a zero sum game, and they will only succeed insofar as you are not succeeding. Yeah, and the fascinating thing as well is that also brings us neatly on to the next section: building a stronger economy. Oh, I thought you were going to make us talk about high speed too, which is one of the things that remains in the Queen's speech, right? So that's going to be quite, quite fun. Yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing about lots of this, right, is there is a strategic. A benefit to Labour to successfully passing stuff and looking like a government in waiting. There's also a strategic benefit to Labour in the government not passing anything and looking like it is 
dissolving, obviously they will do a bit of both. Well, this is one of the things that um, worry me, because actually talking about the way the vote um, has gone, and actually the voting patterns, how they shifted, we've had some piece on the site this week about how Labour has become a more, much more middle-class party. It was really a much more middle-class party in terms of membership, but now in terms of voters too. And is, you know, is its kind of voting coalition beginning to look more like the Democrats in the US and then the Tories one is beginning to look more like the Republicans in the US and then actually you get into a situation again where if you've gone back to very strict two-party politics really about whether or not obstructionism becomes just the way to get what you want you know where people have got no interest in in seeing anything good happen well yeah and also yeah the, the next election is very finely balanced because just a thousand extra votes majorities of two thousand so a thousand votes switching from Labour to Conservative across the country would flip, you know, in every seat across the country, if a thousand people changed their minds, Labour to Conservative, the Conservatives gain 30 seats and they have a majority. If a thousand people change their mind and switch from Conservative to Labour, 30 seats, and then suddenly Labour, not, 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 the, um, the, not a majority, but the largest party, and because they have many more viable allies than the Conservatives, they are just in a much stronger position. And you'd have to have a lot of chutzpah as the next Tory leader, let's assume, taking them into the election to try and run a kind of being propped up by in-the-pocket-of-coalition-of-chaos attack ads. I mean, that's not to say they won't do it, but... Yeah, yeah. but the, the interesting thing about all of that in terms of your is obstructionism the future, one of the reasons why what happened happened in terms of the kind of post-election surveys and focus groups of you know, Lib Dem voters and UKIP voters and various who, who fell behind the various parties was the very strong sense that it was the only way to stop May was to vote Labour, the only way to stop Corbyn was to vote Conservative. Because of the great result they both got in terms of vote share, that dynamic I don't think is going to go away mm. anytime soon, which does mean that you know we are now 12 years away from the last uh, time a party won a good majority in the House of Commons. We are 30 years away, 1987, from the last time the Conservatives won a good majority in the House of Commons. And a lot of the trends that we saw in 2010 and, and in the kind of back end of, of, that, of the last Labour government that we kind of went in 2015, oh, maybe they don't, those, these don't hold, do all seem to have reasserted themselves, which it does mean that obstructionism becomes a more successful and viable uh, approach. Do you want to, um, a page that is kind of sad but slightly funny in a sad way in the uh, the draft stuff from the Queen's speech is the equalities page, which has got the page about um, women and LGBT equality, because all the LGBT stuff is all stuff that they've done already. It's just saying like, in the past year, we have done stuff. And you're like, this is some padding right here. Um, but go on, talk to us about making the country fairer. So, I mean, this this bit is the bit where you're just like, oh, you really can't do anything. The Travel Protection Bill. Improve protection for holidaymakers by updating the UK's financial protection scheme for holidays. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with this. This is the kind of, you know, the thing people always forget whenever they go X number persons voted with the Tories X amount of times, right, is a lot, an awful lot of those uh, those stats, you know, when, when Labour votes with the Tories, when MPs vote with the Tories in general, are things like, the travel protection bill, right? Where basically you kind of go, oh, this this law. You get a bit more compensation relates to 1973. Your, your holiday it, gets cancelled, right, by the tour operator. It probably should relate to the issues of today, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so it's not so much funny that the government is doing this, but it does sum up the slight funniness that the first item in sort of one of the is is quite literally a a non controversial bill that probably won't have a division. Yeah, they yeah, probably won't be voted, but yeah, there'll be arguments over amendments, particularly in the Lords. But um, it, 
it is a hilarious sign of, of, of weakness. Other than that, making our country fairness includes tougher action on whiplash. I'm not saying whiplash isn't important, but, you know, this, this is not, you know... This is not, this is a, not a grand. This is not a 1945 style sweeping program of uh, of reform, or even a 2010 style. I mean, that's the fascinating thing. The coalition, because of the Lib Dems, ended up with what was a majority of about 60, effectively on a day to day basis. So they were able to pass really huge reforms. And um, one of the ones I think is quite worrying. I haven't had a chance to look at it properly yet. Is that all of the prison reform stuff appears to have just been quietly gone? It is an interesting example of how, from Labour's tactical perspective, right some things that they might want to happen, it's in their interest to make painful for the government. There are a lot of people in the Labour Party who care a bit about prison reform, but there isn't really a caucus which is going to start jumping up and down going, this can't wait till we're in office, we need to like do it now. Which means from the government's perspective, the fact that they will lose Tory MPs on the right yeah. over it. And get a shellacking from the Sun and the Mail for anything yeah. that seems as being soft on lags. I know, it's just a shame because, I mean, we had a report only this morning about the from the probations inspectorate about the fact that there's all these kind of very touchy-feely-sounding schemes about mentorship and stuff like that, and, and basically none of them... I mean, the conclusion of the report was basically there would be no difference if these schemes did not exist. They all seem to, from the sound of it, just spend all their time filling out forms um, about, you know, future projects that they're going to do and, like, and, and box-ticking, and actually have done very little counselling and mentorship with ex-offenders. Still a huge number of people... I mean, I spoke to when I went to prison last year, people who leave a, a really long sentence and just literally do not know where they are sleeping that night that they, they leave. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was kind of sad just to see that that stuff's been immolated on the pyre of um, Theresa May's failure to get a majority. Yeah, and um, the, the other interesting thing, kind of the last, last thing, because I'm, I'm aware we've, we've, we've rattled on, although obviously it is, you know, a big day, a big legislative day. She couldn't um, even put the crown on, Stephen. Uh, it are the non-legislative measures. Um, you know, my, my bae, Harold Wilson, famously once said, you know, um, you had to govern without much of a majority, 64 to 66, and again, 74 to 76. So knew a thing or two about getting to, you know, said, you know, the wonderful thing about royal commissions is they take seconds to set up and they waste years. Uh, and what have we got on countering extremism? We Ooh. have, you guessed it, a commission. I do. But see, that's another failure because where is one of the main places that people get radicalised? In prison, right? And, and Liz Truss was already talking about having kind of flying bit squads and stuff like that and, and kind of isolating those inmates. But you could do an enormous amount to counter radicalisation just by simply not making people so bored in prison, right? Just lonely and bored and scared uh, and, you know, worried about random acts of violence happening. And, and that's what seeing is just... Anyway... That's my that's my howl of pain, Stephen. Tell me about other things that are happening in non-legislatively. A digital charter. Oh no. Um, so this is basically um, obviously they had this idea of like doing massive amounts of regulation of the internet that can't really happen now. Don't have the votes. So instead, they are basically going to, as far as I can tell, write a letter to uh, dear Google. Please sort out extremism on the internet. Love and hugs, Teresa. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yes, uh, social care. Um, <laughs> oh, that must have been a painful one for everybody involved. Um, Are they going to have a big think about social care? Just a lovely big think about what's what's that all about? Uh, the plan is that they are going to uh, bring forward proposals for a consultation. 
proposals for a consultation. Um, Steady there, Lance. I mean, it's one of those things where you just think, if only you'd consulted Before. with... Before. <laughs> with anyone. I remember when they when they press released and they were doing this, the dementia tax thing, it was one of those things I, I, I went uh, into the other room to sort of say to my partner, this seems like a very risky thing to do. It feels so silly that I assume I must have missed something. We thought about it and it was like, it does just feel like it's a very stupid thing to do. And of course it turned out it was, and you kind of think, how small is your is your is the circle that makes decisions in order for no one to go? It literally reminded me. We you know the very long bit about um, that bit in yes, prime minister or yes minister about the difference between things which are you know yeah. saying something oh that's very brave or that's very courageous and I can't remember what's and it's controversial means it'll lose you votes you know courageous means it'll lose you the election and this was a courageous proposal to reform social care. Um, right now, the other interesting thing, of course, is <laughs> you said in a tone of voice that prepares me for. For tedium, go on. No, this is actually interesting. Um, now, a lot of conservatives believe they had a near-death experience for many reasons: bad campaign, you know, candidate who turned out to be quite unappealing. Corbyn had a good campaign, but also um, people had had enough of the cuts. Mm. The hope for them will be that if you if you do not um, if you basically soft pedal the cuts and you actually start increasing spending on some departments and then in five years you have someone who can go I'm new at which point of course the Labour leadership will be lots of things but it will not be new mm. um, does that allow you to sort of revive That's the John Major principle yeah revive yeah revive the party and basically what they kind of are set what well what the, the Queen notionally said but obviously what what they are saying is basically they're going to continue to improve the public finances so you're like oh you're still going to do it but actually the devil is in the detail and what is fairly clear is that the plan is that they are going to use that wriggle room that philip hammond gave himself for the event of a bad brexit and again this increases the the pressure for a soft landing right mm. because the the kind of oh well we'll have lots of stuff and this is the other bit in the improving the economy it's basically all infrastructure stuff which is what you do because the economy is making a lot of very worrying yeah and um, you need to go money worrying noises yeah. But it's interesting how the kind of the public posture of confidence of oh we've made the right decision don't think is not remotely being matched by this kind of quiet but very significant Getting better build some railways big, better yeah like exactly under the window is slowly being pushed a huge kind of trampoline and feather bed thing yeah and the fascinating yeah the fascinating question is if we do have a very soft landing and they are able to finesse fewer cuts than they planned. Will people go, yeah, but I remember five years ago the because the other thing they absolutely will not allow Tory MPs will not allow to happen, as well as they won't allow Theresa May to lead them to another election, is another election in which the NUT and basically every teacher says the school so funding says, formula is going to take away this specific amount of money from this specific school, right? Yeah. They, they they made a website in which you could put in your postcode and it said, like, your child's school is going to lose this much, which is equal to this many teaching assistants. Yeah. And, and basically every school did have, you know, a great post or a banner going, you know, under this, we will, we will lose X. Um, yeah, they, they, they will want to diffuse that in, in any way possible. And of course, the thing about not having the parliamentary majority is they can't uh, tighten things about the lobbying act. So they, they can't fix the problem of it happening at one end. They have to fix the problem of it happening at the other. The oh, you mean they can't muzzle they can't, unions yeah, because, and, yeah. and charities further? Yeah, I mean, the interest, The other interesting uh, question about the next election, which obviously who knows when it may be, 
is I, I'm sure I'm not the only person who noticed this. I I don't know a single doctor who voted for the Conservatives, including um, quite rich ones, including quite <laughs> rich ones, including ones I I knew at university who were like actual card carrying members of the Conservative. I think they have very effectively radicalised a whole generation of of, profe- of young professionals. I yeah. think that's the thing. When we talked about the youth surge, and actually the youth surge for Corbyn is under 44s, right? Um, graduates with no future or, you know, people who, you know, aren't doing badly but just feel miserable about where they're going. I mean, you know, yeah, like I say, I've got lots of friends in the health service as well and lots of them feel... Gra- and also it's an attitudinal thing as much as everything. They just don't have any goodwill at all. They don't believe that the Tories like or understand the NHS or that in any way are making cuts because they're necessary. They think that even quite right-wing doctors that I know think that this is all a, a long-term game to try and transfer as much stuff as possible to the private sector to dismantle the NHS, which they see as a, as being a bad thing. And yeah. you know what? I was in hospital only last week. I went in for my regular eye check. And it is astonishing how much kind of goodwill the NHS runs in and actually how impossible it is you know, something like that. So I go to a glaucoma clinic and it's full of pretty much old people who've got glaucoma, right, who find it very difficult to get around. Being Does that mean to- you're allowed to get, um, you know, like cannabis legally? No. I'm not asking you to hit me up. I'm just... <laughs> not as far as I know, but I'll, I'll look into that because it has been a very stressful year. Um, but, you know, th- th- that's the bit that feels really, really creaky to me is just lots of people being helped out by a, a child or a partner or something like that. You know, that the, the support structures for people who, who are finding life a bit difficult are kind of not there. And the NHS runs on huge amounts of kindness, but it does feel a bit... It felt a bit cr- bit creaky. Yeah. yeah, and I think that the, obviously it's their first statement after the elect. Yeah, their first sort of public thing. But I think the the interesting thing about it is I don't think it yet has the required shift necessary. And obviously anything can happen. You know, five years is a long, long time in terms of shifting back the kind of drift of politics and you know, kind of holding back the Corbyn tide. I don't think there is anything in this Queen's speech that gets the Conservatives where they need to be. How sad. I'm I'm crying. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, and my colleague, Helen Lewis. It's produced by India Bork and mixed by James Shield. Our sister podcast, Seriously, is appearing at the London Podcast Festival on the 17th of September. So if you want to go and see two altogether more professional people talking about pop culture, uh, then you can do so. Uh, Just search London Podcast Festival, King's Place, and you will uh, find them. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hello, Freddie here. I want to tell you about a new way you can support the New Statesman's independent journalism. Every morning I send out Morning Call, our daily newsletter covering everything you need to know about British politics. It's free to sign up, plus for just £3 a month, you'll get a recommended daily piece of ours sent to you in full, plus exclusive polling analysis from Ben Walker, a weekly update from Will Dunn, and our featured piece on Sundays. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love Morning Call. Head to morningcall.substack.com and subscribe now.